Now, the biggest mistake I see from a lot of beginning speakers, even, you know, seasoned speakers that are trying to adjust, they chase the shiny object. They're like, oh, blockchain a couple of years ago. I got to talk on blockchain or DEI is hot right now. Let me talk on DEI. But it's not in their core ethos. It's not something that they can own for a decade or two decades. So think long term, be persistent in the short term, but patient in the long term. And so what are you going to own? Now, for those beginning speakers, it's okay to start broad because you're testing things out. Always encourage speakers, speak for free, get out there, test the waters, start to figure out what you love and also what resonates with the audience. And you'll start to figure out what that pattern looks like. It's one small step for man. Liftoff. We, have a liftoff. we choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have hard. a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Welcome back to the Super You Podcast. It's the podcast designed to unlock and unleash your inner superpower. I'm Jake with Equal Man Studios. Here's this week's quote. The secret to getting ahead is getting started. In today's episode, we're reposting an interview off of the Speakernomics Podcast, where Equal Man sat down with host Tom Singer. Eric speaks on the value of focus in our business and how staying true to our expertise will lead to more business. Tom Singer is the CEO of the Austin Technology Council and an active speaker for associations and companies who care about community, collaboration, and conversation. He's the host of the popular Making Waves at Sea Level podcast and a paid host for Speakernomics. On these podcasts, Tom interviews business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who possess an extra dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. We're going to get right into it today. So thank you for joining us on the Super You Podcast and enjoy this conversation between Eric Qualman and Tom Singer. This is Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today we're going to talk about focus and how your focus can lead to getting booked more often and making more money as a professional speaker. And our guest today is Eric Qualman. Hey, Eric, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom, and nice to meet all you listeners out there. Thanks for joining us today. Well, I'm glad to have you here, and so let's just get started. What are your two tips for speakers on how focus can lead to more bookings? Tip one, focus on what you will own. And then the second tip is win more deals from the stage when you're on it. Nice. Okay. This is going to be fun, everybody. Fasten your seatbelt. For those of you who don't know Eric, he is a best-selling author and speaker. He entertains, educates, and empowers people from the stage. Now, his background was he was a former tech executive in the marketing area for a bunch of Thai tech companies, and then he jumped into the world of professional speaking, and he is a professor of digital leadership at Northwestern University. Now, his latest book is called The Focus Project, and here's a little funny story. I was walking through the airport in Austin, Texas, where I live, and I walked by the bookstore. We have a bookstore called Book People, which is a local bookstore. They have an outlet right there in the airport, and I always look to see what are the most inspiring books, and there was a picture of Eric's face. 
he wears these bright green glasses everywhere he goes. And I thought, I know that dude. He's my friend. And I just sort of laughed. I didn't pick up the book. I didn't buy the book. But I sat there and laughed because it's Eric's face, big giant green glasses, and the words, The Focus Project. Not two minutes later, I'm walking up kind of to my gate. And who is sitting there? But Eric Qualman with his bright green glasses on, you couldn't miss him. And I'm like, no way, you're in the bookstore. And we started talking and we talked about his new book and we were talking about the world of speaking and how things have changed. And I knew it was going to be really important to get him here on Speakernomics. So Eric, I'm really glad you're here. And I want to jump in to get as much knowledge from you as we can in the next 25 to 30 minutes. So let's look at your first tip. You talk about focus on what you will own. What do you mean by that? When people have to find you by one word, what will it be? So if you look at Brene Brown, what does she talk on? Shame. If you look at Simon Sinek, it's all about why. If you look at Sean Acker, it's happiness. So the best speakers over time start to narrow it down to that one thing. And so figure out what you're going to own. Now, the biggest mistake I see from a lot of beginning speakers, even you know seasoned speakers that are trying to adjust, they chase the shiny object. They're like, oh, blockchain a couple of years ago. I got to talk on blockchain or DEI's hot right now. Let me talk on DEI, but it's not in their core ethos. It's not something that they can own for a decade or two decades. So think long-term, be persistent in the short term, but patient in the long term. And so what are you going to own? Now for those beginning speakers, it's okay to start broad because you're testing things out. I always encourage speakers speak for free, get out there, test the waters, start to figure out what you love and also what resonates with the audience. And you'll start to figure out what that pattern looks like. For me, over time, it became digital leadership. Now, I started off more on social nomics because that was the first book, very social media heavy, very technical heavy because of my background. And then I started to realize these audiences didn't have a clue of that first basic building block when it came to digital leadership. They're trying to dive into the deep end right away with social media. So it's really about what are you going to own? And it's really hard to answer. So it's really trying to figure out if you were to define it as a word, Brene Brown, shame, Sean Acker, happiness. It's really trying to get to that level. Simon Sinek, why? If you can get to that level, it's golden. So, you know, you talk about the fact that you started off speaking about social media and, and your first book was Social Nomics, which I love because here we are on Speakernomics. And, you know, that sort of morphed to digital leadership. And, and when I hear the word digital leadership, I do think of Eric Qualman because I've known you for a long time and you are a professor of that at Northwestern University. But here's the question. How do you define digital leadership and how is that different than just making up a term? I mean, how is it this something that, that you have really grasped onto? How did you get to own it? It's a great question. So I'll unpack it because there's really two questions that are in my mind. So you've got, if I were to define digital leadership in one word, it's empathy. Do I have empathy for your issue? Do I have empathy for the friction that you're facing? If I'm Amazon, I'm going to remove that friction and make it easy for you to get your package and return it easily. So I have empathy for your friction. So it's really about digital leadership at its core level. One sentence or one word is just empathy. And then what is the genesis of digital leadership? So I was doing some work with Mont Blanc. So I did an event with them. It was amazing. This is another tip. So sometimes you throw out a wild number. So my wife was pregnant with our first daughter and she was in the six week window. This event was going to be in the six week window. This is our first child. My wife, like a lot of folks out there, you have family that work on the business as well. If you're a speaker, more times than not, it's your significant other. And we got a, a lead to speak in Monte Carlo and 
we're like, we can't do it because it's in that, it's right at that six week edge. We, it's our first baby, not, not worth it. And my wife goes, let's just throw out this crazy number. And it was literally six times what we normally charge. Let's just throw it out. And they don't bat an eye. And I go, and it turns out to be this amazing event. They had Yoko Ono there. They had Christina Aguilera launching this new fountain pen at Mont Blanc. And so the speech went really well. And I rarely do this, but I do take on coaching when it's the right fit. And so for them, it was the right fit. They go, we really need your help. And so I flew to Germany, and we started discussing. They wanted to go deep in social media. And I go, all right, well, then we're going to send them to MontBlanc.com, and they can buy this stuff even though it's like $10,000. They're like, oh, no, 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 we don't have, we don't sell direct. I'm like, oh, whoa, hold on, time out. All right, let's not talk about any of the socialnomics. We got to talk about digital leadership. We got to talk about the basic blocks of digital leadership. So that's where it sprung up is from that. I started to see that pattern that people are trying to dive in that deep in without even understanding how to swim uh, when it came to digital. So that was the genesis of it. And then as digital became all encompassing, I also realized that it's really just what are the habits that stand the test of time? Knowing that technology changes every second, what are the habits that never will? So technology changes every second, human nature never does. But the reason this is important for your listeners is because leadership is one of the top speaking categories to speak on but here i am creating a category because of that meeting which really helps from the speaking world i didn't even know that that was the case because i was so green when it came to speaking but then that's something that i could own because no one's gonna hire eric Qualman to speak on traditional leadership at the time you're gonna hire a, a jack welch uh was the big speaker at the time or name your favorite leadership speaker, Stephen Covey's son, whoever it might be. And that really just, that's why I'm kind of letting you know that I didn't know that so that you can learn from it. But the short answer to it is, can you own something? And sometimes it might be you're creating a category rather than chasing something you think's the white hot objects in the last for a couple of years. It's not in your DNA. Uh, that's a fool's errand. You might make a little bit of short term money, but it's not, you gotta, you gotta plan for the long term. So a couple things we have to go back and unpack from what you just said. And the first one that everybody's listening wants to make sure of, and that is you got back home before the baby arrived, right? You were able to fly home. The baby didn't come early. She keeps it not come early. She's the first one. I think she came maybe a day or two late. Uh, so very lucky. Yeah, that's definitely not the... It was quite stressful, that's for sure. Just, I was on that plane, I'm like, just give me home, give me home. The other thing was, is you bring up a really interesting point, and that is the odds of someone who's just starting their speaking career, or even someone who's been around for a while, being able to own leadership is going to be really hard, unless, as you said, you know, you have some sort of a fame, you were leading one of the Fortune 100 companies or something in, in that realm. However, by adding the word digital in front of it, and then giving that the meaning, and what I loved about what you said is, you took the meaning to something really simple that we can understand and, and that is empathy and i don't think anyone listening thought oh digital leadership equals empathy mm -hmm. but because you created it and you've created this this world around it you were able to give it this meaning empathy is something we understand and it's something we need more of in this world and we live in this digital world so digital leadership suddenly becomes something where people perk up because what i always tell people in the speaking world is their uh, decision makers are going you know they're looking at the the realm of people they could hire and they're going speaker 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 oh 
And so by creating something that you own and that you can define and that is 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 narrow, you're making people go, oh, so I wanted to, to touch on that. So, you know, you, you didn't do it on purpose. You kind of fell into it thanks to Mont Blanc. However, what would you say for somebody who's like excited about what we just talked about, who wants to do this intentionally? How can they start looking for what will they own? Listen to your audience. And so as much as you can, especially as you start out, it's a smaller crowd so that you can talk to them one-on-one right after you're done. What resonated with you? What was the one key point? If you had to go back to your house, whether it's your husband or wife, what's the key takeaway that you have? Um, Now that we've built out quite a large business, we've got a feedback loop electronically to do that. But in the short term, whether it's email, whether it's face-to-face, find out what the people, what's connecting with that person from your talk. And then you'll start to see a pattern with that. And hopefully that's a pattern that also marries with what you're passionate about. And so then that's what you can really go deeper on. Any speaker, when they begin, they're kind of going more broad. So you're testing the waters and then you start to hone it down. It's like a good time you do stand up. It's like a good comedian. You're trying to figure out over time what joke resonates with everyone, no matter what the audience is. What are the killer jokes? So you got to act like a comedian, revise, revise, revise. And before this, Tom's a master because he was helping us shorten things down. Mark Twain once said, I didn't have time to write you a, a short note. So I wrote you a long one. It's really hard to get things concise, but you've got to own that digital leadership. You've got to own whether that's that shame, that why start to kind of whittle that down over time. And the best way to get that, figure that out is asking the audience what resonated with them and then figure out where, where that marries with your passion. I think that's awesome. And I think that for a lot of people, you know, they do jump into that pool, like you said, DEI or leadership or whatever, you know, sort of that hot topic is. And then they become sort of just another speaker. And so I think, you know, figuring out how to fine tune that and figuring out what you're going to own is really important. But I want to go just a little deeper because I always like to push people on this. So someone's listening to this and they're still confused. They're still like, yeah, but but what do I do today? What can I do in the short run to start owning something besides just, you know, testing and listening? Mm-hmm. Is there any exercise that people can do to get their focus honed in? I mean, I don't want to lose this point either is that the focus could be that it's a specific segment so that it might be that you go after medical sales so that you become that expert speaker in that particular vertical rather than going broad right away. It's trying to figure out, okay, no, I understand this guy's the medical sales whisperer. Like that's what you could own. Like if you got booked for one tenth of all the medical sales conferences, you'd be one of the top speakers in the world. (laughs) And so sometimes it's also defining actually I speak on this and I'm the person that speaks specifically to the medical sales personnel that are out there in the world. So that's another way to focus in terms of the topic drilling just deeper and deeper is testing out, writing out the headlines. You're going to start to see over time the headlines because some people get caught off guard. I, I even get caught off guard to this day a little bit, which is kind of crazy, but over time you get these headlines, like what's the title of the speech? We got to market it. And literally some of your listeners are out there like, wait, I don't know if that's off the top of my head. And so you'll start to see a pattern over time that that's actually the title 
And okay, in that title, I'm going to own that specific piece. It could be, hey, I'm on food sustainability. Whatever it is that that kind of floats your boat, uh, that also hopefully that there's a market for it out there, then go for it. Nice. Well, your second tip was focus on winning more deals from the stage. So that's something we all want to do, right? I always say it's a, it's a word of mouth spin business. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. you can market all day long, you can do all kinds of things, but doing a great job on the stage and, and then being able to spin that to more business is super important. So when it comes to focusing on that, what should people be doing? I call it pre-gaming and like all this stuff that I'm saying, I try to do the best I can, but I screw up all the time. Like gravitational pull. I've written a book on focus because I needed it and everyone <laughs> needs it. And I was talking to everyone and then literally it's just about trying to be better. It's progress over perfection each and every day. But as I give you these tips, know that I slip, the gravitational pull starts pulling me. Hey, you got to post more social media. got to do this. Oh, you got to X, Y, Z, go shoot your uh, video, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, we're, we're not even focused on the speaking side of the business. So I call it pre-gaming. So when you go to an event, everyone focuses on their speech. Obviously you're putting your time and energy in that, but there's a lot of stuff around the speech that it's not the speech itself. That'll win you deals. And so, but you've got to be intentional with this. This gets to your schedule and it gets to the pre-game. It's about knowing the details before you get there. For example, Am I going to go to the breakfast before I give the keynote? Okay, what time's that breakfast? Who's going to be there? Oh, are the executives going to be there? Is this a conference that has multiple companies at the conference? Okay, what companies are going to be there? Who should I try to meet with for breakfast? The beautiful thing is it's going to make your speech better when you sit down and get the pulse of what those people are concerned about that morning, but it will lead to more deals because you're meeting more people and you're showing, Oh, this guy's actually having a conversation with me and you really care about what my business is. So it's the devil's in the details. It's also about where's that flight. I got three hours after my flight. Do I have time to meet with folks afterwards? Can I sit down with them or the night before? Are there any cocktail parties that I can go to? Who's going to be there? What's the setup? Or if there's no cocktail party, is there a bureau in that city that I haven't seen for a while? Should I sit down and have take them to dinner? Is there a speaking bureau that I can meet with that I can take to dinner? Or whenever you have time, you got to look at your calendar and figure out, okay, while I'm in this city, how do I t- maximize it? And If you don't do that, then you just go to your room and kind of relax, which sometimes you need, you need to unwind, but it's really being intentional. Also, once you're on stage, let's say this happened last week, I was in Dallas and I knew that there's gonna be 40 people from Southwest Airlines in the audience. And we've been in talks with them to speak at Southwest Airlines. There's other companies in the audience. So I'll make sure I ask the company that had me come in. It's their client. Hey, is it okay if I pull in specific examples from people in the audience. For example, an example with Southwest Airlines. They go, yeah, that would be great if you can do that. Give them some love. So I do want to jump in that it is smart to ask your client because sometimes they don't want you shouting out somebody because maybe Delta was a sponsor of the conference. So they don't want you shouting out Southwest, you know, because of that. So that was a really important point that if you're going to do some sort of an intentional, well thought out, focused shout out, make sure that you've asked your client so that you don't know what the politics are behind the scenes. So I didn't want to let that slip by. 
No, exactly right, Tom. Great point. Can't stress that enough. You've got to ask. Because a lot of times the answer will be no. A lot of times on your slides, they go pull our logo off your slide. We don't want our logo on your slide. It's not treated the right way. Blah, blah, blah. So, But it is important to ask your client that has you there, hey, is it okay if I give some love to the folks that are out there? And then just making sure you're asking the questions. Hey, are you having books there? Are you not having books there? If not, do you want to order some custom books? Okay. Do you want green glasses? Okay. You want green glasses? Great. We'll put the glasses out for you. So that's another way to get a sale. Where'd I get these green glasses? Oh, is that guy that gave me that speech in Dallas? Oh, he was pretty good. Let's, let's bring him back. So it's really about winning those deals, not only from the stage, but also around the stage. And so that takes that level of detail before you get there. And again, <laughs> I mess this up all the time. Sometimes I'm just flying. I'm like, wait, I don't have it. I've got three hours. I didn't set up a meeting or X, Y, Z. There's a cocktail party last night. I didn't know about that. Fortunately, I've got a chief of staff now that really keeps me on the ball, but it's, it's really making sure that you're intentional when you're on the ground, not only for your speech, but everything around it. Another tip is the production companies. They get asked all the time for speakers. You're going to go in. I do a, a video storytelling, so it's a little, it's more complex than most speakers. And so we do a lot of work up front before I get on the ground just to make sure everything's functioning correctly. But literally every time I get there, there's something that's not right. And so you've got to have the mindset going in that that's going to be the case and to treat everyone super nice. Because if you lose your cool because the audio is not working or the video is not playing or you're just not going to have slides that day, that's going to reflect poorly on you. But if you kind of make them look like a hero, even though they know that they've haven't nailed it and you're helping as much as possible, then when they get asked, Hey, who are some of your better speakers to work with? Then your name will come up. And so it's also to trying to take notes to where there's so many production crews that if you have notes going, Hey, they did a, an event with you two years ago. That makes a big difference. If you can have those type of notes for that production crew, you worked with that AV team two years ago. So I love how detailed you are with planning for the whole time you're in the city, whether you're in Dallas or Detroit or wherever you are thinking about where can I maximize my time? Where can I focus my time to be able to make sure that I'm spinning off business? So I love the idea of saying, is there a client in town or a speaker's bureau who I could go to dinner with the night before? The other thing is looking at the schedule and you brought up something really interesting. And that was, do they have a cocktail party or a breakfast? So many speakers are like, oh, I hate these people. I don't want to, I don't want to go to the breakfast. They just, they order room service and they go to their room and, and you're right. I realize there's a time and a place where you need to have some downtime, but I've found that when I spend time in the bar that night or at the cocktail party, a lot of people who've seen me speak will then come up and want to chat where they wouldn't have come up to the front of the room. It's just not, you know, in, in their style to stand in line and talk to the speaker. Mm -hmm. And those are the people who I randomly sit with at lunch or who I talk to at happy hour. Those are the people who usually refer me later. And I don't do it intentionally. I just do it because I like, I like the social stuff. So I do it, but I'm taking some notes as we're talking that, wow, if I'm in town for 22 hours, Am I pre-gaming it like Eric in order to make sure that I'm maximizing the relationship capital, focusing that relationship capital through the entire time I'm in town? Because I agree with you. I think it's, I think it's how we get business. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 huge, and it's most people listening. You're in the speaking business because you're people. You love people, um, and so it's really just having that ability to meet as many people as possible, and and just being intentional with your time as well. Just setting up those meetings when you can. Uh, sometimes you don't want to get up at seven to have that coffee, but it's the only time they can meet, and you're speaking at nine. Uh, but more times than not, I'm so happy I did because it's all about that human connection, and then it's good for business uh, moving forward. But as Tom mentioned, you're doing it because you enjoy it. If if you don't enjoy it. Don't put yourself in that situation. Uh, no one wins with that. But if you do enjoy it, then take advantage of it. And then also, this is important. This is sort of related to when you focus. Be prepared on these calls too. If you've already got a deal, sometimes the time slots, look at the contracts too, because sometimes they make it quite vague on the time. And they don't care sometimes what time you speak, but you should care what time you speak. And so you need to know, for me, I like to speak in the morning, more of a morning person. I like to kick off the conference. I've been in every slot possible, but it's really just about understanding if given the choice, sometimes they'll ask you, Hey, we're thinking about, we need high energy for the opener or the close. We don't know which one is better Then you're really prepared to answer that question. You just say, look, done both happy to do what works best for the audience. If you want a halo effect, have me start first thing on the on the opening day so it halos the conference or if you want a, a closer you want to make sure people stay if that's the intent we found they're probably going to go no matter when their flight is <laughs> so it's up to you on how you want it but you can usually steer that conversation focus it to where it's best for what you think will be best for the audience so you said something a little earlier i wanted to go back to because i don't like things to just sort of drop and float out there you talked about hey do you want green glasses and we put out the green glasses so as i said in your introduction eric wears these bright green spectacles and they're his trademark i mean i saw it on the book when i walked through the airport it's like that's eric so i knew right away because who else is wearing giant green glasses uh but from what you said it sounds like you also give them away as tchotchkes so you know you put them you put them out is that something that you you charge for or do you just put them out how how does that work and then i want to talk a little bit about how this became your brand yeah no for sure i might talk about it I'll try to keep this as short as possible. So I haven't always worn green glasses when I've been a speaker and I've been speaking now roughly 2009, the book came out. So since 2009, so fell in it backwards, like a lot of folks that are out there and so I haven't always worn these green glasses, but my name's always been Eric Qualman. So first initial last name forms equal man. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I want to jump uh, in on that because uh, when I first met you, I thought you were a superhero. You were equal man. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> equal man. But I hated it. I didn't like it. I resisted it for basically 15 years of my career because you can imagine I grew up in Detroit. You're working at the automotive company. I'm a digital guy. So I'm already kind of in the nerd room back in the day. Now everything's digital. So everyone thinks digital people are cool. That was not the case when I was an intern. And so they're like, well, we need some coffee. Well, this equal man kid must be super fast. He's a superhero. I'll go send him to get some coffee. So did not like it for 15 years. But then the thought was, I thought it was happening to me. And I realized it was happening for me. And as one of the books, Digital Leader was doing well. So we did an interview for a magazine and they said, Hey, do you mind for the photo shoot for the cover? Do you mind wearing some Clark Kent like glasses? And I go, sure, we can do that. And they go, it's for our St. Patrick's Day edition. Do you mind if they're green? And I go, let's make it happen. And we do that. And then a couple weeks later, I flew to Kenya to give a talk. And the night before, I was going to a, a rescue shelter. It's actually part of the deal. I don't want to like virtual signals. Say, hey, go to this rescue shelter. I didn't have shots. It was like a whole thing. But anyways, I'm like, awesome. We're going to go adopt a baby cheetah. This is cool. So I'm with this lady. And she looks at me and she goes, we're driving over to the shelter. And she kind of goes, 
Hey, do you mind if we film and take photos while we're doing this? I go, this is great. Yeah, let's do it. She goes, yeah, we had Usain Bolt here two, two days ago, the Olympic sprinter. And we filmed him. We'd like to film you. We just want to create a video to raise more money for the shelter. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then she looks at me and goes, but obviously when we're filming, we want to make sure you're wearing your green glasses. And I look at her and I go, oh, I don't walk around the world wearing bright green glasses. On. I look kind of foolish doing that. In the look of disappointment on her face, I never wanted to see that again. So then I started wearing the, the green glasses and we lost some deals because of it. Now, this isn't that long ago. This is maybe seven years ago. But at the time, there's a lot of, we need, the world shifted so much in seven years that literally a lot of the speakers were in suits. I look back, I think I even had a suit on sometimes. And so they go, this is a business conference. We need someone serious to talk about this stuff. We can't have this guy in this green glasses. So again, you got to play the long term because I just didn't, I didn't ever want to disappoint someone again. And so what I found is the glasses, it helped from a marketing standpoint, but what it really helped was if I could help one other person. Walking in that discomfort was worth it if I could help one other person. Um, and we've had some wild things happen with it from school. School district wears them for kindness for the last four years. So we wear the glasses to remind people to be kind. That even if a person is wearing green glasses. But anyways, I'm getting long on the story. From the speaker standpoint, from a focus standpoint, it kind of happened for me. And so, but you had to have... The willingness to walk in that discomfort, the willingness to lose that money in the short term for long term to have greater gains for your audience. And when you do that, then the money follows. And so to answer your question, we've sold over 60,000 of these. Originally, the first time we had a request for these, they said, I go, you want these green glasses? They're like, yeah, we want them for the audience. It'd be fun. They're like, where do we get them? I go, well, you can get them on Amazon here. And then that was a kind of a pain for our clients. And so to make it easier on them, now we can customize them. We order them out of Florida. We've got a great relationship with the vendor. It's been crazy. I never would have thought in a million years it would be selling green glasses, but the photos are great. It's just a fun time. And so you don't have to go out and wear a bow tie. You don't have to wear fancy socks. You don't have to wear green glasses, but you do have to be yourself and you have to just own what you're going to own. So what will you own? Where's your focus? And just hammer that. I love that. And and from your website, I wrote this down. It says, our focus de- determines our success, happiness, health, and fulfillment. Successful and happy people understand that where our focus goes, our energy flows. And I just love that. And this is something that, that I've witnessed you do over the years. And I think this whole idea of, you know, equal man, dun, 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 dun. I think, uh, you know, you, you've developed a great brand around that. So as we wrap this up, your book is called The Focus Project. For people like myself who squirrel, you know, are off on the different directions all the time. Any other little quick piece of advice on, on how to be more focused so that we can have our energy flow in the right direction? Yeah. I mean, I went, it's a project cause I was testing things out. And so one of the things that I try to do every day, again, I don't, even though it only takes 60 seconds, it's ridiculous the days I don't do it, but it's, I try the night before to write down what's the one thing that if I do it well, makes everything else either easy or unnecessary. And that Jay Papasan's done that with Gary Keller, uh, Tim Ferriss, you go back to the Stoics. It's not a new concept. So it's, it, it's a literally thousands of years old, but it's, what's the one thing that if I do it, well, we'll make everything else either easier or unnecessary. And I try to write that down the night before 
because that helps you sleep because your brain now thinks I've taken care of that till tomorrow so I can rest. I don't have to have that pinging around in my head. But it's really just trying to be intentional and attacking that one thing before the day attacks you. And so that's a big learning. And most folks, you want to do it in the morning. Uh, If we have time, we can get into what kind of owl, if you're an owl and a robin, (laughs) we probably don't have time. But to get into that, you can read the book. But it's all about when you're fresh, attack that one thing before the day attacks you. Nice. Well, Eric, thank you for jumping in and being a guest here on Speakernomics. We appreciate that. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. You know what? I want you all to join us every single week for more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money and build a better business as a professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. Five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 you.